At American University, we don't just hope for change, we create it. We don't just dream of a better world, we make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, you'll access expert faculty and connections throughout DC to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at American.edu slash grad school. Welcome back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew, and tonight I'd like to welcome author of the book, The Octopus of Global Control, Charlie Robinson. How are you doing tonight, Charlie? I'm good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm awesome. Excited to get into tonight's conversation. Me too. I love this stuff. Let's get weird, shall we? <laughs> awesome. So uh, let's start with a little bit about you and what brought you down this road and what uh, got you to write this book. It wasn't, I, w I did not set out to write this book. Um, all I did was I got interested in, in the topic, starting with 9-11. Um, all, that always rubbed me the wrong way. I didn't, I didn't have it figured out that, that morning or anything like that on September 11, 2001. It took, it took years, but then as I started putting the pieces back together, uh, you know, it didn't add up to me. About the same time I was kind of coming to this realization, I was also working in real estate in Las Vegas, and I was witnessing some of the fraud uh, that was happening, like in the movie or the book uh, Big Short by Michael Lewis, this, uh, you know, the packaging up of uh, mortgages, crappy mortgages sold off to, uh, you know, stamped AAA rated and sold off to investors. So I was kind of living that at the same time, watching that fraud. And then the kind of final trigger was reading John Perkins' book, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. And that really sort of delved me into the, to the worldwide strategy that the World Bank and IMF uses to sort of enslave, not just, not just like mortgage holders like I was dealing with in Las Vegas, but they're talking about enslaving entire countries into large multi-billion dollar loans to finance infrastructure like building hydroelectric power plants and things like that and they were getting these guys into these these um these you know signing off on these gigantic deals borrowing money from the imf uh, with the understanding that once they build this this power plant it's going to generate enough revenue to cover all their expenses and lead their people into like a new you know you know, reading at night with electricity instead of, you know, uh, having kerosene lamps and things like that. So, um, but those, those numbers were always wrong and the countries always got wound up behind payments on it because they were never meant to pencil out. And then they would go renegotiate with the country and say, all right, you owe us a lot of money, but we can make it, we have a, we have a way to get around that. Um, have you vote our way in a UN resolution or a privatize a, some, industry like the fishing industry or the lumber industry and sell it off to one of their buddies. So it was totally dirty and crooked and reading his book woke me up to that, but it, maybe just the book in and of itself wouldn't have done it. But the combination of sort of having questions about nine 11, living and working in this financial um, area where I was w watching fraud, being instructed to commit fraud. And then when I raised my hand to ask about it, getting fired for it, you know, wow. so all those things together, I just kind of woke up and then, um, but there was no plan. 
on my on my part I just, it was just an interest in it and so I would do like all of us do you know get into one topic and go down that rabbit hole and then you find another topic you know, oh my god where does this lead and one day I had a very sort of normal conversation with my mother and I just kind of told her about some new thing I found and she asked me a simple question that's great what are you going to do about it and I was like I don't know never crossed my mind that I had to do anything about it so after that then I thought well what 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 would I do about it and I decided that you know I, I was uncovering all this information I felt like I could kind of organize it in a way that made sense um, I always thought that like when you have those 9-11 conversations at the Thanksgiving dinner table and like everybody starts to turn against you one of the problems I always had <clears throat> was that you're not prepared for that conversation you, know, you don't have your notes you don't have proof you don't have evidence you just sound like a maniac uh, talking about these things and so I found that if I could show uh, the people that were skeptical about these things, if I could say, hey, listen to this guy, you know that guy you trust, you know this guy that, whose books you've read, he thinks the same way. That sort of added some validity to what I was saying in, in, in a way. So what? I, so with the book, I said, I'll get quotes from over 500 different people that had some sort of played, played a role in some of these events, because then we can hear it from their mouths. You can hear it from Kissinger and Rockefeller and George H.W. Bush, but then you can, which are obviously serious and creepy and, and, and <laughs> um, but then you get George Carlin and Bill Hicks and Joe Rogan and you get these sort of more um, outside voices that explain a situation in a way that's funny and I think that keeps people hanging in so I figured if I could do organize the information find all the quotes and then add my warped sense of humor to it and make this kind of as funny as I could, even though we're talking about some serious topics that maybe, you know, people would stick in long enough to, uh, to get to the end of the book. So that's kind of how it came about. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, an English lit major or anything like that. I have, have been working in real estate for a long, long time. And, and, um, you know, so, but this just kind of came out of nowhere and I actually kind of felt like obligated to do something, you know, like, like if I lived my life and got to the very end and I hadn't done anything about this and I knew about it, I felt like I would be sort of complicit somehow for not saying anything. And so I said, well, okay, what's the worst that can happen? Everyone thinks I'm crazy. I can live with that. Uh, but if I back it up in a way, or if I am able to show some other sane people think the same way or have seen the same things or said the same things that, that, um, it might be able to turn somebody. Someone might give it just an extra listen, or they'll read that thing again and go, "Hmm, that might be that might be possible." And so that's that's how it came about. And as far as just the idea of writing the book, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell my wife. I didn't tell my friends. I didn't tell anybody. I just quietly wrote it, literally in the middle of the night, like sneaking out of bed and writing a couple pages and going back to bed. And I always gave myself the out that like if I didn't feel like what I was writing was was going anywhere or if it didn't make any sense or if I kind of lost interest in it nobody knew I could just quietly never mention it but what happened is the more I wrote the more I wanted to write and the better it, I felt and the more it made sense and so um, that that's that's how it's that that's how it wound up coming about there it was by no means my uh, plan uh, leaving college, I'm going to go write a book on conspiracies and things like that. And I certainly, of course, I, this goes without saying, 
I didn't do this for the money because if you're getting into this sort of industry for the money, you are the wrong industry. So anyway, it's more like just a passion project and uh, and uh, something that I think is important. Yes, excellent. It is. It is very important, and it's awesome because you know I'm probably made some uh, Thanksgiving dinners and dinners very weird. Uh, by bringing yeah. up some of these topics and uh, you know, I'm probably going to show this book to my family. Um, it's a great way to open people's eyes without kind of, you know, ruining the dinner. Exactly. For sure. Well, it's funny because I had, um, you know, a, a family member of mine uh, in the past was really into this even before I was, and he would tell his dad about these things and his dad thought he was crazy, right? And, and, and one day the dad turned to me and said, you know, he thinks all these things. I mean, what do you think? He's crazy, right? And I said, no, I actually think he's right. And he went, really? You do? And I said, yeah. I think a lot of what he's saying is actually based in some fact. And I watched his demeanor change. Oh, because I thought that he wasn't crazy. It stopped him for a second. He sort of paused and was like, well, maybe I should consider some of this stuff. I'm just saying it's not, your son is not as crazy as you may think he is because some of these things are real. But the fact that I was saying that had an impact for some reason. And so when I was writing, you know, bringing in the quotes from other people, I was remembering that event, thinking that that might give someone just a second to pause and maybe read it again or maybe just give it a second look to to see if maybe it could be possible. So yeah, you're going to have awkward conversations at Thanksgiving. Um, you know, we, we have those. And so if you've, if you've reached the point where nobody is listening to you anymore and you've gone down that path, just buy the book, have it sent to their house and then let me be the bad guy. Definitely. Yes. <laughs> I would definitely recommend that. And you had mentioned nine 11 and that's also one of the things that kind of led me down one of the rabbit holes as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk about some of the things that kind of rang some red flags with you about nine 11? Well, I mean, I think the fact that, um, you, you know, we're, think about 20 years ago, the JonBenet Ramsey case. I always think of this. Girl dies in her house. Her mom, her dad, and her brother are in that house. Here we are 20 years later, and nobody is totally sure exactly what happens. But on the morning of September 11th, with as many things, as many different areas were going on, New York, Washington, Shanksville, all that. The mainstream media had it figured out within the, what, first hour? That to me was really suspicious. And I just thought that in in an event like this, of the magnitude, that it was irresponsible of the media to come out and tell everyone how it happened. And that they, what they should have been doing was to say, there's a lot going on. There's a lot to figure out. We don't know Everything that's happened, we'll tell you, we'll show you some of the things that we've, that, that we're, we're hearing, but for them to have it all sort of neatly tied up and, and Osama bin Laden, it, you know, immediately getting pounded over and over again, Paul Bremer going, going down to the studio instead of being in the office at the World Trade Center where he should have been killed, uh, going to the NBC and getting on, on TV and talking about how it had to be Osama bin Laden. And then he's named director of, uh, of the Afghanistan, of the war in, um, uh, in Iraq, I think it was, or maybe it was Afghanistan or maybe both. But anyway, like it, it just, it was, they were too quick to have it all figured out and have this sort of label uh, of, of what had happened. So that to me made me suspicious about 9-11. But of course that I'm also looking for 
on all of these other events too, because the same thing happened in Las Vegas. When I saw, you know, the shooting happened, uh, you know, at six in the morning, I'm watching it. And I had, you know, obviously ties to Las Vegas. I wasn't there, but I, you know, have a, a big interest in it. And within two minutes of me having the TV on, they're talking about lone gunman, 32nd floor, this, this, and this. And I'm just thinking, guys, take your time. Take your time and get it right. Like gather all the information. It's okay if you don't have all the answers to it. But when they, when they purport to have the answers to it immediately, to me, that is always suspicious because it's, it's complicated and it's okay for them, you know, to, to say, we don't know exactly what happened. I think that as viewers, we would not only understand that, but like we would appreciate that. The fact that they didn't rush <clears throat> into a judgment on, on anything, but, but that's not the way the media works anymore. They sprint to set a narrative immediately. And then that story that they tell is gets stuck in everybody's minds. And then, all the other stories afterwards have to knock that story off the top spot to, to be able to take its place. So even if it's a ridiculous, preposterous story, for whatever reason, because it's first, it gets stuck there. And then you come along doing some real research saying, that's not how it happened at all. I had this, this, and this. And for whatever reason, people look at you like you're crazy. And you're like, but my my work on this is better than the media's work on this. You know, why are you, why aren't you thinking that they're crazy? Well, because they're the media and they told us first. Well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> what difference does it make? So anyway, that these these false flags, that's 9-11, right off the bat, the, um, the role that the media played in that rubbed me the wrong way. And it, and it has continued from that point on. I don't think it's gotten any better with the media. In fact, it's gotten a whole lot worse. That Now, I just wait to see. You know, I actually got to the point where I would say, I could say to people that I was with, they're like, right when an event happened, I would say, <clears throat> I'm going to tell you four or five different things that are going to happen within the next 48 hours. You make a list and you see if they happen. And then you come back and, and, and tell me, and like, like, like what? The shooters will be, will be in the end, they'll say that they were Muslim or, you know, terrorists. Initial reports will be that they're all white men three white men, like San Bernardino, three white men instead of two uh, Muslim people, uh, that they would open the doors and let the media contaminate the crime scene, which is exactly what they did in San Bernardino, and let everyone into their apartment, even though they claimed it was a veritable bomb manufacturing facility, which I always thought was funny that they let the media in there anyway. Um, you know, so all the, that, that you know, the, there would be a, a declaration of uh, their love for their religion and some, and they leave it in some obvious place for someone to find just really stupid things. And then you watch and these things would happen time after time. And I go, I'm not psychic. I just understand what the plan is. And it's actually not even that, that detailed of a plan. It's just, we're demonizing people for a variety of reasons. In some cases to take guns in some cases, because, you know, we want to have it us versus them and go into the middle East and fight all these imaginary boogeymen that don't really exist. And, it, you know, just the more I got into this, the more I got frustrated with it. And the fact that, you know, the media would, not only were they not doing their job, they were actively working against the people by putting out these stories that were ridiculous and then having the audacity to call us conspiracy theorists for coming up with ideas that, that uh, you know, that were way more logical than what they were presenting. So I just, it's just an overall lack of respect for the media starting in 9-11. But really, after that, you start to just kind of look back in your history books and you go, 
what was I doing in history class? Why was I learning all this stuff? None of this is even true. So it's a bit frustrating on my, on my part. I'm sure you've felt the exact same things. Oh, definitely. Uh, definitely. And, you know, speaking of the media, the media plays an enormous role in control in all of this. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, they really do. In fact, I think that, you know, so in the book, it's the, the idea of the octopus with eight tentacles. That's not new. It's certainly not my my uh, idea. But the fact that each one of these tentacles, you know, sort of represents something different, uh, one of them being military and one of them being banking and another one being the media. And I'd always, you know, had when I talked to people, they would assume that the military control was probably the most uh, dangerous of all the tentacles. But really, in my opinion, it's probably a real close with banking number one and the media number two, because they control so much. The media controls so much of what we believe. And, and it's, it's crazy to me that we even believe anything they say, because they've just been exposed so many times. Like if you had a girlfriend that treated you the way the mainstream media treats you, you would be out of there so fast. It would be, or, and if you didn't, your friends would go, Oh, man, that guy is whooped. I mean, that's, he's a mess. He doesn't see any, he can't, he can't see what's really going on. The media just treats us like they have no respect for us because they have no respect for us. And after you watch like, uh, uh, you know, Black Friday, the, the, the morning after Thanksgiving, Thursday, when everybody lines up at a Best Buy at four o'clock in the morning to punch some old lady out, you go, well, of course the media doesn't respect us. I don't respect us. Why, why would they? You know, so like we kind of have to take some responsibility for ourselves as well. But like, yeah, so watching the way the media has, has, has used their power and influence to screw up people and then at the same time consolidating that down to just so, you know, so few companies that control it. Um, even when they come right out and say, you know, come out, come right out and sort of fight back against fake news. <laughs> they, they're so oblivious to how they look that they don't understand that when Sinclair media group asks all of their anchors, local anchors to read the same story about fake news, they don't understand that they are acting out fake news. They don't get it. Like, doesn't they, they're, not, they're not aware of how ridiculous they look. So when you see that, you just go, I, I mean, like, I rest my case. Like, you guys are totally, totally full of it. You know, and it was funny a couple of years ago when Jon Stewart did those things where he, they'd edit all those clips together. So the Easter Bunny is springing into, you know, and it would just run those things. You'd have 40 people saying the exact same thing, and it was kind of funny until it, it wasn't. You know, until you realize that this is actually quite dangerous to have all of these media organizations saying the exact same thing. And, and we look and laugh at Russia and go, oh, propaganda. <laughs> We're the most propagandized group on the earth right now. Like, poor North Korea. They're so screwed. They don't know what's going on. We don't know what's going on either. You know, we're just, we're as, we might be even in a worse spot because we don't think that we're being, having the information restricted to us that for all they know, you know, North Korea, you know, what, what you see is what you get. But like, we actually have no, we have to sort of like realize that our government in conjunction with our media is lying to us about everything, even the most irrelevant points. They just can't help themselves, but they have to come out and lie and lie and lie. And then, you know, so people say to me, like, I can't believe you watch the mainstream media. Well, I'm only watching it just to see what they're saying. I'm not 
getting information from them, but it's fascinating to me to watch like what it is and how, how a unified front against Russia, 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 you know, all of a sudden they're, they're, they're the evil, you know, evil country. And it's like, uh, I'm not a Bush. I'm not, I'm not a, a Clinton fan. I'm not a Trump fan or anything like that, but I don't think it's such a bad idea to go talk to the other side instead of trying to just get into a war with them. I don't know. But the media would have you believe that like it was the worst thing that Donald Trump had ever done was to go over there and talk to the Russians. Meanwhile, there's pictures of like Clinton, Obama, Bush, uh, you know, all these leaders that had had the same pose next to Vladimir Putin shaking his hand. Like, so it's a problem when this guy does it, but everyone else, it's fine. It's just, it's just amazing to me. Yeah, it's it's really disgusting to me. Every basically everything the media is doing, you can't believe a word of it. There's some people waking up to what's going on, but it's amazing how many people just go along with it. Just you know, okay, whatever. You know, that's what's happening. That I guess that's true. You know, it's amazing how much how brainwashed people are. It's like we've we've outsourced so much of what we do in this country to other countries as far as like manufacturing and things like that and services. I feel like on some level we've outsourced our critical thinking as well. Like it's just too difficult for us to do. Like it's like this is just it's hard. Thinking's hard. So I'll just let the guy on TV tell me what to think. And then that way I don't really have to bother my pretty little head with all that all that thinking you know but we get ourselves in situations where we don't we we, we can't tell what the truth is we, we all we have to do is you know we, we we wonder is the guy on tv telling us um you know does he have an incentive does the company he worked for have an incentive to lie to us and typically i think most people on the surface would say no maybe not until you realize that like NBC is owned by General Electric and General Electric is in the arms manufacturing business big time and that, you know, they can, the media can start a hot war just by talking. You know, it's crazy, but they can talk it all up and make it, you know, the only thing you ever hear about. And after a couple months, it's not a matter of should we invade Iran? It's how should we, or how, how do we do it? Like the, and then then a war breaks out and then General Electric is making money on their media because they've got them talking about it. Then they're making money on their arms manufacturing, the sales that they do to the military industrial complex. They're making money both places. And we're watching this whole thing and not even understanding that the whole premise for the war was manufactured. It didn't have to actually happen. And I think that one of the things that made me realize that in a, in a very real way was learning about the Vietnam War and the Gulf of Tonkin and, and realizing that that event, if people say, well, it, it didn't happen like the way it was reported. Yeah, no kidding. It didn't happen at all. There was nothing. There was nothing there. And then, it, but it turned into a war. And then everybody knows somebody that had a family member or, or you know, a friend that went to Vietnam and either died, came back in a bad spot. And then, of course, all the people in Vietnam and Cambodia and Laos, they got bombed for nothing. You know, and you... And, and I had a, a history teacher in high school whose father was Admiral Stockdale. Admiral Stockdale was, was the running mate, vice president running mate with uh, Ross Perot in 92. And Admiral Stockdale is widely regarded as the first guy in, last guy out of Vietnam. He was a POW for years and years. And he came in, talked to our classroom because his son was my high school teacher. And I was just, I bet I got a front row seat. I got to really meet somebody that went through that hell. And it was, it made it real to me 
you know, just to, to be able to, and you know, the guy was, he was bad. If you remember, he wasn't very good during the debates because he had a hearing aid because they bashed his eardrums in while he was a POW. And so I'm watching this and I'm thinking, God, you know, all that whole war and this poor guy, he was so brave and he got through it and he made it out the other side and, and all this stuff. And then I learned that the trigger point for that wasn't even a real event. Like, Oh my God, how do you explain it to that guy? who went through all that for essentially nothing, you know? And so it, it just, it just made me very cynical about the, the, the reasons for war and, and how they get started. And here in the United States, it just, um, you know, I, here we go again, we see this, uh, you know, North Korea, North Korea, Iran, Iran, you just go, why? You know, and, 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 and like most people just go, I don't understand why. And then I, you know, for the ones like us that have sort of dug into it a little deeper, we realize it's about central banking. You know, it's about these countries not having central banks. And you go, that wouldn't be a reason for starting a war. Oh, yes, it would be a reason for starting a war. There's a long list of countries, a bunch of them in the Middle East that just recently got invaded within the last decade because they didn't have central banks as well. And that's one of those topics that people kind of roll their eyes and go, uh, you know, conspiracy theorists. It's not. It's, it's not, it's a, it, as Jim Morris said, it's not a conspiracy theory if you can prove it. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, not only that, but the, you know, going back to the media, it had such a role of control, even, you know, going back to its earliest days, even, uh, you know, World War II it played a huge part in fueling that war. Yeah. And, and if anyone is interested in a really great, uh, series to watch um, the untold history of the United States. It's a it's a ten part series that Oliver Stone did with Peter uh, Kusema, his partner, and it is awesome. Yeah, I've watched it twice, and I've just started it again just because. I mean, it's so good. It's like a documentary series that you watch over and over again. It's it's ten parts. Starts with World War II, goes all the way up to present day. Well, five, maybe four or five years ago. Uh, really great. It gives you a, a much different look at the way. Um, the wars really turned out and, he, and, and the, the media's role in concocting these wars. And in the very first uh, episode, they talk about World War II. And, you know, we all are, were told that uh, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. It was a unprovoked. It was an, un, you know, unannounced uh, event. And we find out that that's not true at all. You know, we, we, it was, most definitely was provoked, that we had been provoking them by cutting off their fuel line, you know, fuel supplies and, and embargoing them. And then on top of that, that we knew that they were coming, moved the carrier group all the way to the back of the island and then needed them actually to come and make that attack because they couldn't figure out how to get into World War II without that event happening. Of course, once it did, boom, we jumped in in the Pacific and in Europe and, that, and it was on. But they were in a, what most people didn't know, myself included, was that they were in a real bind. They were telling Russia and they were telling uh the British were coming to help you, but we can't, we can't do it right now. We don't have the justification to do it right now. And then once that happened, then they said, all right, we're in. So, uh, you know, in the Pacific for sure. And then, you know, it took a while, but then they got in, into, into Europe, but that was a media driven event. That was like the first real media driven false flag um, narrative. Well, I don't know if I would call that a false flag, but, but, you know, it wasn't what it, it was made out to be something that it really wasn't in order to swing the public's perception to get them to, uh, to back these wars, because believe it or not, 
they do, even though they don't respect us and even though they don't have to run anything by us, for whatever reasons, they do feel like they need, it's easier for them if they have the public support before going into these wars. So a lot of times the wars are, you know, sort of juice, you know, they juice them up a little bit to make it uh, more painful for us so that we, we just go, yeah, let's go get those MFers, you know, let's just, let's go, you know, I don't care about anything. Let's just America, you know, just go crazy. It's because they need, they sort of need uh, the support of that. But I think that strategy has been used so many times by them that, that it's kind of running out. Like we're watching that recently with what we've seen in the last couple of months, the chemical attacks in Syria, like they keep trying, like people are shaking their heads going, we're not believing this. This is not, this is not working. You've done this too many times. We know what this plan is and we're not falling for it. They just keep doing it over and over again. I think that might be a good sign that at least enough people are waking up to the fact that, hey, you know what? When they don't get natural reasons to go into a country, they will create fake reasons in which to go in there. So, uh, so, so, so yeah, the media, in my opinion, has been despicable in their... Um, you know, they just have abandoned the people trying to find out the truth and they have partnered up with the government in sort of sing, you know, telling the people whatever prepackaged, uh, you know, talking points the White House gives them. They'll just parrot them out to us, you know, with no care at all. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's embarrassing. But, you know, I think that um, one of the things that we've seen lately and, you know, you and I know about this in the alternative media is the, the crackdown on, on these platforms against sort of alternative news. And it's frustrating because you get channels like yours, you have channels that are in that same space that count on those ad, re you know, the ad revenue dollars, as limited as they might be, to come in and fund some of the operation, to take some of the pressure off to allow them to, to continue to do the, the work that they're doing. And um, for these major companies, these platforms, social media platforms, we know who we're talking about, um, to clamp down on that and delete channels and delete people, kick people off there. As frustrating as that is, think about that for a second. It is a very good sign that the alternative media is making a difference because they are legitimately freaked out about the reach of the alternative media. If they have to resort to kicking channels off because they spout some sort of view that, that, that is not in, and, you know, it's not uh, the same as what the mainstream narrative is. Uh, so for those of us in the alternative media that talk about these things and have that frustration, I mean, take comfort in the fact that you must be doing something right in order to get the response that you've been getting, which is, you know, the, their clear desire to silence everybody at, no matter what the cost is. If you have millions of, a million subscribers and that generates money for them, they don't care. They just want you quiet. And that's uh, frustrating, but it's a good sign too. It just show, it shows that the information is getting out there and that it's working. Yeah, I've seen a few uh, channels recently that have been deleted just very abruptly. It's disturbing, but uh, you're right. You know, it, it means that they're going in the right direction. Yeah. Um, well, let's get into some of the quotes that you cover. Yeah. Some amazing individuals that are players in this, what has been going on over the, over our history. And, um, let's, let's get into that. Talk about some sure. of the, and some of the people that you've spoken with. Well, let me, I'm going to read, I'm going to go through my notes here because I want to make sure I get these, get the, the words correctly. So, so I think you might've 
if you haven't had Stephen Bassett on uh, before, from he's the executive director of Paradigm Research Group. He's uh, which does a lot of sort of like UFO type type stuff. But he had a good quote that that I heard, and it made it made so much sense sense to me. I put it in the introduction because it really sort of painted a picture of what kind of we're all going through. So this is this is his description about the truth. So he said, imagine if the truth was a huge jigsaw puzzle, a big box with 20,000 pieces, and it is the truth, the absolute truth. It is a picture of the world as it really is. You come into this world, you get an education, you're handed this box, and the idea is to put all the pieces together. And if you put the pieces together on this huge table, it will be the truth about the world that you live in. So you set about to do that. All good. A wonderful thing, except there's a problem turns out the government that you're living under has made a decision to interfere with this truth process. It's a political decision being made for political reasons to serve the state, almost never the citizens. So the government has taken a whole bunch of those pieces out of your box and has thrown them away. They're missing. Well, that's a problem, but it gets worse. They've grabbed a bunch of pieces from another box, another puzzle, and have thrown them into your box to your puzzle. And now you have to put this thing together with an idea that what you're going to find is the truth. That is an almost impossible situation, and it is extremely effective to serve the state. So, wow! I thought that's what we're doing, aren't? Isn't it? We're trying to put these pieces of a puzzle together, but we're making the assumption that we've got the right pieces to the right puzzle, and in some cases, we don't, and that's pretty evil. But you know what? That's if you were trying to obscure the truth, that's what you'd do. You would send a, you know, you would add as much disinformation as you could. So when I read that, I thought, God damn, that's that's exactly what we're doing. We're trying to put this puzzle together, and and I don't think any of us have a belief that we're really going to get the whole thing put together. But as long as we can kind of fill it in enough to uh, to to get it going, and maybe the people that come after us can help put it all together. That would be, I think that'd be good enough for, for a lot of us. But yeah, it's been a, it's been like um, trying to put a puzzle together with people actively working against you to try and prevent you from doing that. It makes things a lot more difficult. But, but I also felt like at least reading that, I knew I felt like, well, at least I'm not alone. At least I'm not the only one that feels like I'm getting sort of, uh, uh, you know, looking for all these, trying to find these answers and, and, and not even sure if what I'm finding will fit. But uh uh, so anyway, so stuff like that I found. Um, I got quotes from, you know, David Rockefeller at the Bilderberg um, event in 1991, and he is, uh, you know, he he's thanking the the mainstream media for their uh, agreement to remain silent on the issues that they had been sitting in that me those meetings for the over the years hearing. He said that, you know, he wanted to thank them for their agreement to remain silent because without you, we wouldn't have been able to put the new world order together um, out of the out of the way of, you know, the prying eyes of the of the general public without your help. So thank you very much. And you're listening to that going, you prick, you know, <laughs> you guys are actively like at these meetings, you've got the media in there and you're telling them not to report on it and they're not reporting on it because you probably own a majority of those of the parts of the media. And so, you know, that's something you're never going to hear on the nightly news. But when you read that, you go, oh, man, that is, I'm not surprised that David Rockefeller is saying these things. And then I think the first time I remember hearing uh, something that really 
rubbed me the wrong way was George H.W. Bush talking about the New World Order. I remember being younger. So like when he, when that war started in the first Gulf War, I was a freshman in college. And I remember him over and over talking about, you know, we have before us a chance to, to form a new world order, you know, where the law, you know, the, the, not the law of the jungle. And he just kept saying it over and over. Well, I started digging in to see how many times he talked about the new world order. I mean, I, I got to the point where I couldn't put them all in the book because there were just so many times. And so when people kind of roll their eyes and they say, new world order, oh, you guys and your conspiracies, like, listen, don't take my word for it. I've got, I've got Joe Biden, Obama, Bill Clinton, both the Bushes, Gerald Ford, Richard Nixon. I said, we got all of them using that same term, new world order. We're not making this up. It's them. They're telling us, you know, what they're doing. They're telling us about the plan. Um, you know, so... I thought it was interesting to just try and find all those, you know, the, the, the words that were said in these meetings that were sort of closed, you know, behind closed doors that you wouldn't normally hear um, because it lets you in on, on, on a little bit of the plan. When you hear uh, David Rockefeller saying in his autobiography that, uh, you know, people have accused me and my family of being internationalists, uh, you know, that we are conspiring. Uh, against the, the the benefits of of the United States, you know, in order to form a global sun. He goes on it, and if that's the charges, then I stand guilty, and I'm proud to be that. And you're like, what? Like, seriously? It's in your autobiography? Like, this is not Charles Barkley getting misquoted in his autobiography. This is David Rockefeller saying, yeah, you call me an internationalist, a globalist, you say that I'm out to conspire against the United States and form a, a one-world government. If that's what you're saying, then yeah, that's true. You're like, holy crap. You know, so I found these things and that's actually a comment that had been out there for a while. But like when you read them, you're like, why is this not on the nightly news? Like, why doesn't everybody know about this? Because this seems like a really important statement that you'd think everybody would hear about. It would be in my history books. Well, not in your history books. It's never going to be in your history books. So um, that's it. Of course, Rockefeller and those guys are evil and they have power and they have money and they have all this control. And their words carry a certain amount of weight, but I don't know that, that necessarily their words are any more powerful than, than George Carlin, you know, to hear his take on it. And you go, damn, that guy was doing this stand-up routine in like the late nineties. And it is, he's laying out the, how he sees the world and I'll be damned if he's not completely correct in what he's saying. So it's, it's fascinating. He's my, uh, my favorite comedian. He's the best. And so, you know, but nobody would ever think of him as being like a documentarian or like a historian, but like his stand-up routine talking about how, you know, be happy with what you got. It's never going to get any better. You know, they're going to get your pension. They're going to take your, you know, all your, they're going to take your retirement fund and give it to their criminal friends on wall street. Like, yeah, that was crazy. You know, people were laughing in you know, 2001 or 1998 when he was doing that. Uh, and now they're just like, yeah, that's, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, everything that he said is coming true. So uh, and I thought that that was just to try and add the different voices from from um, not just the same evil type, but also people that saw some, some, some positive uh, signs. George Carlin was not one of them. He did not see any positive, positive signs. He got to the point where he was like, you know, I'm just watching this. You know, he's like, I'm out of this. I have no no vested interest anymore. I'm just watching you guys circle the drain. But um, 
but you know, there, there are a lot of people that are out talking now that are, that are, that have uh, important voices that, that give us a little bit of hope. I love like James Corbett from Corbett report, you know, his, his nine 11 in five minutes is like one of the greatest things I've ever heard. And it was accurate and yet funny at the same time. And you, you find yourself like, laughing and, and but at the same time going I'm not laughing at the event because the event's horrible I'm just laughing at how preposterous the whole thing is that they've actually done this and you know and, and spun it in the way that we that, that this is how we see the events of 9-11 and you know so to me I just thought if I could get different voices uh you know it would it would it'd be more interesting for people to read yeah definitely. um so this control do you think it it's something that always has existed um or do you think it's something that has been created more in modern times i i wonder about you know i i didn't get in the book i don't get into too much of like the alternative you know like ufo type stuff you know like off world things i didn't i didn't get into it not because i don't think it has a role or that it's important but i just don't know how to prove that aspect of it. But I think that there has been um, a general control mechanism that's been put in place a long time ago in terms of, I think that religion had always been used as control. I mean, I think there's good parts of religion, but I think it's definitely been hijacked by some bad people that have used it to, um, you know, steer attention towards something and away from something else. I think that has always happened. I think that the, 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 the monetary system has has been um, you know lately within the last you know two hundred years or so the monetary system has definitely been sort of a modern control mechanism but I'm not so sure that it wasn't a control mechanism back in the you know in the four hundreds you know when, when they had serfs and kings and you know and it was a whole feudal uh, uh, setup I think um, I think now it's more. I think it's uh, I think it's easier for us now to because of how complicated our lives are and how much access to information we have. It might be tempting on the surface to think, well, we have so much information, therefore we have more control. But like, I feel like the more I look, the more, the the less control I feel like I really have. Like I understand like the most important things are being kept away from us. You know, the information that we really want to know is being. I don't know if it's hidden in the basement of the Vatican. I don't know if it's in some religious script texts that are you know hidden you know long gone i think there's a i think that the the desire to con for some people to control the group has always been there i think that might even be just like kind of a, a really bad aspect of humanity that sort of just persists but um the methods that that they've been using lately like media and uh financial controls those seem to be more more of like a, a, a modern uh, sense, but but of course, controlling information by either suppressing it or or creating fake information—that's nothing new. That's been around forever. They've been burning people at the stake for thousands of years for not believing whatever the traditional belief of that time was. Um, I'm really fascinated with archaeology and the you know and even that mystery where we think we've got it figured out you think you know where the pyramids come from and then you got graham hancock going in there and saying it's much different from than what you think you know i i had the uh, pleasure of going to the pyramids a long time ago when i was younger and it just blew my mind it just sort of made me 
kind of sit there and look up and go, holy moly, like you feel like you're insignificant in some areas, but like, look at this monument that's been here for, I don't know, at the time I thought 5,000 years, it might might be even longer than that. Uh, very humbling, but I, I like all that stuff. I like, and I don't know that we're, all, we're ever gonna get it all figured out, but I think that we should always sort of be in pursuit of it. You know, whether or not we get it all sorted out or not might, might not, uh, you know, might never happen that way, but, but to, we should always be looking for the truth. Definitely. I, I definitely agree. <laughs> I mean, I think, that would, I think you would probably say that's the sort of the core of your show is like trying to get to the truth. I don't care if it's your truth or his truth or my truth. It just, I just want to figure out what is really going on and that the search for that is um, important, I think. I agree. And, you know, I have sensed that there was a deeper level of control, but also those who try to stand up to that control, you know, it seems like throughout history, JFK, and even people who come out with these awesome cures and inventions, they're immediately off. Mm -hmm. It's scary. Yeah, that, um, yeah, like the guy who comes out with the carburetor that runs on on water, (laughs) that guy goes to get it, goes to by the way, if you've ever come up with some really amazing, life-changing technology, do not go to the patent office to get it patented. They will, they, that's like telling them where you live. They will come get you. Don't, if you come up with free energy technology, if you find it, that's the last place you want to go. So they'll either, they'll classify it and take it from you, best case scenario, or they'll blow up your house with you in it or whatever. So yeah, they're, they're just the the you know like the the free energy technology the people that have gone down that that rabbit hole looking for it uh, it's been fascinating like Gary McKinnon his search for for you know the, trying to find free energy technology going through the the ser- servers on NASA and then finding the you know ship fleet to fleet transfers and non-terrestrial officers this guy's like holy moly what have i stepped into you know and then the, watching the reaction that the u.s government had to him doing that and going that's not the reaction that you would have if you just got some computer hacker that just got into your computer system and you know was was messing around like their reaction to him made me think that that was real a real thing you know so i'm not, i'm on the i'm on the side of all the you know all the troublemakers out there that want to get the information and don't care do so. I like those guys. I've always kind of liked, you know, those people. They have like a, a drive to kind of get that information out there. And yeah, there's been a lot of people, you know, suppressed information. It's a shame. And you have to wonder, like, if you're somebody at this go- at a government agency that makes the decision, like, go get that guy. Don't let that information get out. Like, what kind of conversation is that guy having with himself? Like check yourself in the mirror, man. Like, what are you doing? Are you on humanity's side or are you on the side of the NSA? Like, I don't, I don't know. I guess I just don't have much respect for those, those people that are, that are, you know, out, out to suppress the search for truth. Like what else is there? It's like the most important thing you can do. Why would you, why would you be a guy whose job you go to work every day to try and shut people up from finding the truth? Like what a wasted life. You know, I just don't like, I don't like that. So that's why I like when you reached out to me, I was like, yes, I want to do this show for sure. This is what I'm talking about. 
these are the shows I like. Like we can talk about some cool stuff, and we're not going to have it all figured out. We don't have all the answers, but we're we're at least trying, and I think that's important. Yes, awesome. Yes, it is very important. <laughs> and this suppression, you would say, would you say it starts at uh, basically right when we're born, uh, we're vaccinated, and then we get the wonderful education system. So yeah, let's talk a little yeah. bit about those things. Yeah, it's a shame because you got to give them credit because they have they have screwed us up in a way but made us think that like um the the vaccination uh, topic the doctors think they're doing the right thing you know like they're going to give you the vaccine they believe that what they're doing is the right thing now, i have i i don't believe that i think that they're that the vaccination uh you know the medical system in general has been compromised, but nowhere is it more evident than in the vaccine industry where you have, you know, the 1986 law that basically gave them a waiver that they can go ahead and uh, not be held accountable for their products hurting anybody uh, or killing anybody. And then the vaccine, you know, that the, the VAERS fund that is funded from uh, people that purchase vaccines, I think like 75 cents or something from each one goes into this fund to pay out kids that are, you know, that are sick the fact that you get a waiver to absolve you from being held liable for your product to me is like, that's the red flag saying that maybe you shouldn't be making this product. If, if you need an exemption for it, because they're like, well, we're out of the business. We're going to get out of the business because you know, we're just getting sued left, right and center. So what is the American government's response? Oh, we'll give you a waiver for that. Not fix your products. Like, hey, maybe you're getting sued because you suck at making your products. Like, maybe you guys should go back to the drawing board. I don't know. Maybe work on these vaccines a little more so you don't get sued by all these people. Instead, they go, oh, we're not going to do that. Let's just give you a waiver. So now nobody can sue you. Oh, and then, by the way, we'll make it required that everyone has to get the vaccine. Now, I think anybody can admit that that is a recipe for disaster. Like, if, if it was mandatory that everybody had to buy 76 copies of my book, how awful would my book be? I'd have no incentive to put anything useful in there. It'd just be like sucker in every page. It would just say sucker, sucker, because you're forced to buy it, you know, and you couldn't sue me. You couldn't take it back. Couldn't get your money back. You would just be like, you guys, you know, I, Hey, I got together with my congressman and he made it mandatory that everybody had to buy 76 versions, copies of my book. So, but that's what they're doing in the vaccine world. You can't get in school in California unless your kids have those vaccines. And by the way, those vaccines haven't been tested enough to, to, to say that they're safe. You would think, you just say, well, give me the, the study, the vaccinated versus unvaccinated studies that you've done. Just show us those. Well, they haven't done them. They haven't done it. And then people go, no, that's not, that's not possible. They had to have done they haven't done those studies because they know what the answers will, will show. The, you know, that they'll show that you, they're filled with all kinds of horrible things. They're filled with all different types of aluminum and fetal, aborted fetal cells and all kinds of crazy stuff that you're just like, why would you ever put this in anything that you're injecting in your kid? Like if you gave a kid these things at a playground, the police would arrest you and take you to prison but they're putting it in vaccines and then injecting it into newborns bodies. It's like, it's crazy. And it's all done under the, under the guise of this, this science. Are you a scientist? No. I don't know what you're 
you're talking about step aside and let scientists, sorry, but we're getting involved in this. That's not going to work anymore. We're going to check it out. We're going to see if these vaccines are filled with things that are hurting kids. And guess what? They are. You try and tell, you know, people say, well, they don't cause autism. They might not cause autism in all kids, but you go find a mother whose two-year-old was fine the day before they went into the doctor's office to get their shots, had the shots, came home with a high fever and never spoke again. Go tell her that it's not real. I dare you. I know, I know a lady that had that happen. There's, it's, it's undeniable that that was the triggering event, you know, so, but then you say, well, I'm going to go do something about it. I'm going to go sue back the manufacturer and you find out that you can't. Well, that should be a huge red flag. I think to most people that there's something here, there's a barrier, there's somebody that is preventing you from doing what you're wanting to do, which is, you know, get answers for this. So yeah, the medical industry has been horrible to us. And it's a shame too, because here we are, we have all this technology and it goes towards, you know, it goes towards, uh, you know, bad science. And, and, and by the way, I think if people understood the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, owns the patents on like 60 different vaccines, then it might make sense, a little bit of sense that they have a financial interest in making sure that these vaccines are administered to kids because they get paid. Paul Offit makes tons of money on vaccines. He, he's, he's, he created some of them. So he gets paid like royalties every time they're used. So you tell that guy that there's no incentive for him to keep, you know, adding vaccines to the schedule and go from 20 to 76 to whoever knows where it's going to go. You know, there's hundreds of them that are in the testing phases right now. So it's not going to get any better. It's only going to get worse unless people start to sort of stand up and demand that like these people be more accountable for their product and stop hiding behind the, the government's waiver. It's ridiculous. And there's this new movement going on. It seems like they're bashing people for um, being anti-vaxxers, uh, you know, calling them uh, conspiracy theorists. And yeah. uh, it seems to be, you know, it's, the pushing on that is getting worse. Yeah. And look, I mean, you know, people say, well, are you a doctor? No, I'm not a doctor. I'm not. But I can, but I, I, I know how to read and I've looked through, I looked through the studies, you know, that like on the, the, the label that comes, you know, the packet that comes with, with some of the vaccines, you know, on the MMR shot, there's one, one of the side effects listed there is autism. It's on there. It's not, I'm not just saying I have that. I have that. It's on my, it's in my, on my Facebook page. Uh, I have the, the highlighted version of it. So it's like, we aren't crazy for saying that vaccines might contribute to causing autism. You have to understand that in some of their labeling, it says side effects may include autism. So we're not tinfoil hat wearing lunatics here. You know, this is from their own paperwork. So you know, that, that to me has been the most frustrating part is, is when, you know, some of the things that we talk about that are on kind of like the fringe, they sound crazy. I and mean, I think we all acknowledge that they maybe sound crazy from, you know, talking about it. But just because they sound crazy doesn't necessarily mean that it's not a real thing. And that's one of them to people just kind of reflexively bashing the anti-vax people and saying they're anti-science. I think that they're, they're the exact opposite of that. They're pro-science. What they're saying is we're pro-science and the science is telling us that these vaccines are no bueno. Like you need to check them again. Let's do this. They're not, they're not saying we're just going to put our baby in God's hands and just hope for the best. Okay. There's that. There is some of that I'm sure going on, 
But that is what they try to brand the whole anti-vax movement as being a bunch of science-free people, zealots. They just say, you know, we're just going to put it in somebody in God's hands and just whatever happens, happens. That's not what is happening in the anti-vax movement. They're saying the testing that you guys have done is not up to snuff. Like you need to do this again. And we're seeing some really bad results from these, these uh, vaccines, you know, being administered to the kids, either the amount of them or the lack of spacing or the fact that you're doing five and one and things like that. Like, you know, they're just saying, let's have this conversation. Let's restart the conversation about all this instead of just branding everyone with, if you're anti-vaccine then you're anti-science and if you're anti-science then you're crazy. That is not what's really happening in there in that world. And I think a lot of people that are kind of slowly waking up to it, you know, and I just saw a, a thing today saying that in New Jersey, the, the, the rate of boys with know, one in 22, Oh my, that's like almost 5%. The rate that of is, what? I'm sorry. I mean, you it, it's alarming when it's one in <laughs> three. Uh, uh, yeah, that I saw a study uh, today that showed that in New Jersey, where they have a very high, uh, I think a 95% compliance in the vaccine uh, immunization schedule, that they are now showing that boys that are born or have a one in 22 chance of having autism. And like, that's, that is down from where it was before, like one in 50, one in 52 or something like that. It's definitely heading in the wrong direction. And it's like, well, you know, I think that this is a conversation that people should, you know, should get involved in and not just sort of blindly uh, label somebody, you know, uh, because they want to talk about vaccines and they want to get to the bottom and have a real conversation doesn't make them anti-science that 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 correlation between the two is 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 manufactured by the media that if you have a, a question or a, a problem with the way that the immunization schedules and vaccines are handled that, that makes you anti-science is the exact opposite of what it is and so you know, i think that, that that these conversations need to happen but there's a weird thing like if you are a parent and your child and you got all the vaccines for your child your child's 10 now let's say do you really want to re-examine the fact that that might have been the wrong move? So that is kind of like a quiet topic that doesn't get brought up. And it is like a, almost like you don't want to go there because to go there, you might learn that what you thought you were doing maybe wasn't the best thing and you don't want to have that on you. It's very, it's, I mean, it's more than just a medical thing. It's like a, you know, psychologically, like how does that affect you? for your whole life. You know, if you're a parent, you're like, am I doing the right thing? All I want to do is take care of my kid. Am I the reason that something bad happened to my kid? I, my intentions were good, but did doing that happen? So I, you know, I think that a lot of people don't want to talk about it because to talk about it is to tackle it, to, you know, is to get into maybe, you know, something that they had, they had accidentally done or some, something that they had done thinking that they were acting in the best interest of their kids and maybe have second thoughts about that. Yeah. It's so hard to find a doctor. I'm constantly between doctors because just to find an honest one, you know, yeah. uh, you don't know that anything they're telling you is true. And if you disagree with something, they'll automatically, um, you know, turn it around on you in some way. Well, I had an interesting uh, interaction with a doctor who had, had moved to a new town. We were in there just to meet the doctor. I hadn't decided to use this pediatrician or anything 
and, and we're just kind of checking him out. And I guess he was sort of checking us out too. Um, asked about the vaccination schedule. He said, well, you know, we're going on like a delayed schedule, meaning no schedule. And he goes, why? What are you, uh, don't, he goes, what do you, don't trust the government? And it was such a preposterous question that I started to laugh. I laughed and I went, I would have laughed too. I go, no. And I realized he was serious. I go, no. And he says, well, now I know what I'm dealing with. Oh, wow. Uh, okay, we're out of here. I mean, it was yeah. just a very weird uh, interaction. And I just thought, mm, you know, but I, I know some doctors that have been, that have uh, I a pediatrician that says, you know, I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned about the role that vaccines play in autism. And he laid it out in, a, in, a, in an interesting way of looking at it. He said, it might be that like, Let's say it take you know. Let's say there's eleven things that can trigger autism, with vaccines being one of them. GMOs, you know, getting exposed to like, uh, you know, Roundup or whatever, you know, environmentally. Let's say it, there's eleven things, and you only need four of them. If you get four of these things, then autism kicks in. He goes, I can't say that uh, that vaccines wouldn't be one of those those things. He says, I had my kids vaccinated. I do them here. I some people, some parents say they don't want to do it. Some say they do. He goes, I respect all, you know, I respect their their right to uh, choose. But he's like, he just kind of explained it in a way that like maybe it's just a combination. You need a certain combination of a couple different things, and it's different for every kid. And I remember thinking, well, that's an interesting way of looking at it. He might be, he might be right. Vaccines might be a part of it because certainly not every kid that gets vaccines gets autism. And, and you know, but maybe it's part of a of a, a grouping that, that boom, it kicks, uh, something kicks it in and then it's, and then it happens. And, uh, so I just thought it was interesting to hear that because I wasn't expecting to hear a doctor sort of have a non-traditional way of looking at such a serious topic like that, especially considering it's his livelihood. Earlier we had talked about, you know, after vaccines, you're, um, you're put into the education system. And to me, that's, that's basic, like, basically getting started uh, at your slavery, basically. Yeah, and it's, um, well, I started to look into the education, like the, the, the way it came about. And I, I, I must confess, I didn't really know too much about the history of, of American education. But what I found was that you know, prior to like the 1900s, compulsory schooling wasn't, wasn't a thing. You know, some kids went to school, some didn't, but Carnegie and Rockefeller, those, you know, the, the, the wealthy tycoons of their time, once they got to a point where they had bought everything they could buy, th there's some sort of weird desire that kicks in that they want to sort of take control of the education system. And in their case, I think they were trying to groom a new generation to work in their industries, you know, to work at the, at the factory. And uh, so what they did was they went about doing things like putting the, the desks in straight rows, you know, like in lines, kind of like an assembly line, having the bell ring. When the bell ring, that means class is over, when school's over, whatever, kind of like being in a factory. And that was, that was weird to me because I didn't, I didn't really ever stop to think of where that came from. So I, I got turned on to a guy named John Taylor Gatto, and he is a, like a lifelong educator, and he has been giving great speeches for you know years and years you can find his stuff online he's fascinating he talks about sort of like the the mechanisms behind that where the schooling came about and they were they were designing basically a a, a, a fact a place where they could 
take people and turn them into more obedient workers and get them. Uh, so when they came out of high school, they went straight to work for them, or, you know, and or in an industry that they controlled. And you didn't have to do all that much training because they were already sort of molded into a, a, a better model of an employee that the schools have done that. And then now we have Common Core. Oh, and yeah. you look to see who's behind Common Core. What do you know? Bill Gates, another super rich guy that's bought everything that he can buy and now wants to have a say in the way the education system is put together. And if you're unfamiliar with Common Core, clearly you, you, you know what Common Core is. It is. It is so ridiculous that you almost will be fooled into thinking that it's all a big joke. Like that, that it's, it's like, it, like the joke's on you. And you read it, it is dead serious. They have screwed up, they are going to screw up kids' heads in, with regard to mathematics to a point where they're just going to give up. These, they have got the most insane way of teaching math where three times four, this is not a joke. This is a real example. Three times four is 12. If you write that in the calculations, you will get that wrong unless you show all the steps that you get. Now, if you show all the steps, and this is many steps, 30 different steps to get the, to, to this, and you get that the answer is 11, you will get partial credit for that, <laughs> even though the answer is wrong. But the kid that just writes 12 will get that marked wrong. And I'm not kidding. It is insanity. He's funneled a ton of money into this. I can't, for the life of me, figure out what what's in it for him. Unless the goal is, let's just see if I can screw up every kid, you know, mess with their heads. I mean, you think about how difficult school is under the best of circumstances, when you come home and you just can't get the math figured out because they're asking you to do it in some way that your electrical engineer father can't even figure out. He's like, no, this is crazy. That's common core. Please go look into it. Look, watch videos with Duke Pesta. He'll do, give you the demonstration. They have people that were involved in the mathematic curriculum that have walk, walked away. Dr. James Milgram has gone on touring the country on his own dime to speak against Common Core, a, a project he was involved in. At the very end, he pulled his name off and said, this is, there, there's no math going on in here. I can't be involved in this. This is crazy. And they've pushed it forward. And what they did is they tied federal money to that program, where if you're a school and you need money, like, I don't know, all of them do, you sign up, you, that federal grant will give you money, $50 million or whatever for that, for that school district. You have to agree to do common core. They were actually finished before they even knew what they were signing on to. So now they they'd signed up, they got the money, spent the money, they put it in their school system, and now Common Core comes around. They're looking at this going, We can't teach this. This is nonsense. And they're saying, Well, give us the money back then. Uh we already spent it. So you have a big problem here. You have it now being forced down. Down, down the you know the throats of the of the schools because they took the money and they can't give it back because they already spent it. So this is insanity. Like I I don't even know how any of this stuff makes it this far. You know you think that this would get weeded out at some point when when people take a look at the curriculum and they go, this can't be real. This looks so ridiculous that it's that it's that it doesn't look like a real thing. But that's what they're doing now. So kids have to not only are you going to school to get sort of shaped into a little person 
but then they teach you the most irrational ways in which to think, which, you know, part of schooling is learning how to think, not necessarily what to think. Of course, that's there. But problem solving and figuring this out, how do you teach a kid to problem solve when they when when the problem is three times four equals 11? Like, you know, you 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 have you, you're teaching this kid that even if you're wrong, you're still right. And even if you're right, you're wrong. Great. <laughs> Welcome to America, you know. And it yeah. seems like not only are they making our kids stupider, they're indoctrinating them in so much ridiculous just behavior from Hollywood and the things that they're showing them nowadays. It's very frightening to see where our future is going with that. I just hope that like somebody in a position, I mean, a position of power wakes up to this whole thing and just goes, I got to put a stop to that. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be a president. I don't know if it's going to be some rational Senator that's going to step forward and go, this is madness. But like, Clearly, the, the teachers aren't doing it. Well, I guess the teachers are, are leaving. A lot of teachers are gone. 50% of new teachers are out of there within five years because they have no, there's no appreciation and they're teaching things they don't believe in and they're, they're working with kids and they're having to buy their... I had a friend who was a second grade, uh, first grade teacher and for the parent-teacher conferences that they do, you know, they do it once a year and it's like every 15 minutes scheduled for a new parent to come in. Uh, you know, for 24 kids in her class, at the end of the day, one parent showed up. Like, if you don't care about your kids, why should the teacher, you know? So it's like this feeling of like, almost like inevitable, like, what's the point? You know, what's the point in trying to fix this whole system when it's broken? And that, that to me is where I get the most frustrated because I find myself in that situation and where it's like, you feel like you're just walking uphill in every aspect of this world, you know, with education, like or science or medicine or, or where you just feel like you're, you're, you're fighting and like an uphill battle against people to just try and get the truth or just to get some sort of rational, logical way of, of handling things. But then you go to school and your kids, you know, telling you, you know, that, that is math, he's getting the right answers and getting it marked wrong. Like, what do you tell you that does that? You know, you go to the, class and grab the teacher and go what are you doing like what are we going to do from this point you realize you've got a teacher that's as frustrated as the kid you've got faculty that are that are you know have one foot out the door but they can't get another job because you know they've been teaching for so long and they don't have the the resume for it and what do we do you feel like you're just like you know it's insanity so the, the one thing i i felt like i can do is at least try and at the very least, just kind of make people aware of, of some of these aspects of it. I mean, I think I can't fix the education system, but I can certainly point out some very obvious flaws in it that, that, were, that anyone is, that's taking a look at this is seeing. But the problem that I'm finding is that with a lot of these different topics, parents are stretched as it is. You know, they're not, they don't have the time to go dig into to find out what Common Core really is because they're holding on to their one job they have a part-time job over here and they're just trying to keep it together and like honestly they take the kid goes to school and like they kind of hope for the best like i hope they're taking care of my kids i don't know about this common core thing but i'm just trying to keep the bills paid and like i can't blame them for that too you know that, that you're just trying to keep your head above water you can't be expected to fix everybody else's problems and all these other issues but you know these are this is a real thing I and mean, we're gonna you're gonna see what it 
one generation of kids go through this new version of schooling, you're going to have just a, it's going to be idiocracy. The movie is going to be like a documentary and it's going to be us going to Walmart and, you know, and, and you know, battling with morons all day long. It's, it's, it's what's coming. I hate to, hate to sound like such a prick, but you know, I mean, I just feel like this is the, this is where it's going. And I, unfortunately I'm not seeing a whole lot of, uh, uh, signs that people are turning it around you know i mean what's the answer homeschooling well great if you can do it if you know more than your kid for one and if you have the time to do it and you don't have to have a job like but that's frustrating too like what are you paying taxes for these schools are not going to take care of your kids it's just it's absolute madness out here i feel like every day like i want to just pull someone aside and go like are you guys seeing the same things i'm seeing i feel like i'm i'm living in like crazyville and, and no one else is like acknowledging this. I don't know. Well, and not only that, on top of all that, you have that we're being poisoned by our food, water, and air. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, you can't even go to the grocery store and buy anything that'll be healthy unless you want to spend a lot of money. And it's, it's true and it's frustrating, but like they get us every way they can get us. Right. So from the, 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 this one, okay, now I, I will admit, I am into the conspiracies, they're fun, they're interesting, they're fascinating and everything, but when I say, when I point to someone and say, that is a chemtrail, and it is a chemtrail, I don't understand where the pushback is. I don't understand how people can debate that. I don't understand how I can have Especially this. now after there. the information's out there. It's out there. Like, that's a contrail. Like, that's not a contrail. That's, there's yeah. a difference. But, yeah, so, so, I, I honestly, I feel like at some point we are like, we're gathering all this information and uh, you know, like we're getting it from the air, we're getting it from the food, we're getting it from fluoride in the water. We're just, I mean, we're lucky to even be around. We're just fighting on every front and it's frustrating because if that's, because if they weren't doing that, if someone wasn't making a decision to spray the air with chemtrails and give us GMO foods and put pesticides and everything else and fluoridate the water and, give us vaccines that are filled with a bunch of stuff. If all of that was taken out and we just had healthy bodies and we could focus on just making things better, like we would where we'd be so much, we'd be so much more advanced than where we are right now. I feel like we're just, they're retarding our growth and all this stuff. Instead of going up this way and getting better and say, Hey, the automobile came and then the airplane came and then we had flying cars. I feel like we're just going down. You know, it's like we're, we're on our way down because we're getting poisoned. You know, it, like, actually literally poisoned by all of these chemicals and in, in the, the the horrible food that like we're just trying to to keep this ship afloat you know and when we should really be you know advancing ourselves or, you know learning more about things and, and and prospering but i feel like we're just having to fight these stupid battles against these politicians and and corporate pricks that are that are going out of their way to sabotage us and it's like for what what's the point of it all you can make just as much money if you're monsanto if you want to make pesticides and sell pesticides i don't have a problem with that but you can make the pesticides that doesn't kill everybody you know do that and then sell that pesticide but for whatever reason it's no 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 we want the one that causes the most grief and the most harm so then the most logical conclusion from that is are you guys all trying to kill us? Are you trying to depopulate this planet? 
And that's where most people will roll their eyes and go, okay, I'm drawing the line there. You go, well, you know, the depopulation agenda is, has been a thing for a long time. And by the way, it's, it's something, it's a conversation that needs to happen because if you take a step back and you're an objective and look at all this stuff, pretty obvious that, that, that there are plans that are in place to depopulate this planet for whatever reason, whether it's they, they think that they're right and they think that we're just too many of us on this planet, whatever. That there are actual plans that are being carried out to get as many of us off this planet as, as possible. Cutting like fertility rates and things like that, putting sterilants in the, you know, in, in vaccines and things like that. You're like, why? You added that in. You actually added that in. So you added it in for a reason. It's a sterile. What's the reason? To sterilize you. Okay, well, thanks. Thanks for being honest about it. But that's, that's kind of like where we're, we're going. We're having to look at the, the honest truth. Like if we're, if we're going to get real, are people trying to kill us slowly with all these foods and all these things? And the answer is, uh, yeah, they are. I know it sounds alarmist. and I know it sounds like, you know, tinfoil hat-ish, but like, you know, the Georgia Guidestones are talking about it. You know, the depopulation plans are happening every which way, you know, from all different directions. So, yeah, I think that that's something that is actually happening. <laughs> so, and it has to make you wonder what is the um, mental situation with these elite people? I mean, how could someone just go along with this? And, uh, you know, you have to have no conscious. You have to be basically a psychopath. I know. I, I, I don't understand it. As a, as just a decent human being, I can't imagine, I can't imagine doing that. I can't imagine setting out to specifically do these things to people and then, uh, you know, congratulating yourself when you're after, you know, for a job well done. I, I, I guess cause I have empathy and you have empathy and, you know, and we, we think that, uh, we don't like people hurting us. We wouldn't want to hurt other people. And, and that doesn't get us any sort of thrill um, that it's, it's almost like impossible to, to put yourself in their situation and, 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 and think about things from, from that standpoint, like why would you actively hurt people? But you know, they, they probably can't put themselves in our situations and think like, they probably look at us and think, well, what do you care? What do you care about everybody else? Like what's your, like, don't worry about them. Worry about yourself. Well, you know, I mean, maybe we're just decent people that want to uh, have a have a planet for our kids and their kids and everybody's kids. You know, I'm not. I, I can't. I can't. I can't wrap my head around it. I can't understand why someone would um, put that much work into being, you know, to to harming people. But that's just the psychopathic uh, state of mind, I guess. It's probably, you know, we'll probably never understand that. Yes, and in a lot of aspects, I think we have it a little better than some other countries. I was doing some research, and in China, they actually have software that reads people's emotions. Uh, <laughs> when you're at work, you know, to see if you're going to be a threat or if you have some kind of mental issue. And they, all across the country, they're, you know, they're putting out millions and millions of more cameras to just control, control their people. It's amazing what they're doing over there. It is. I have a funny kind of a, I guess it's kind of a funny uh, China story. I was in Shanghai and I was there on business and I was going from uh, 
uh, I was going from Shanghai to Hong Kong. And the last day that I was in Shanghai, I started to feel kind of bad at it, like a fever. And I just wasn't feeling great. I, I was going to be okay. I and mean, I was good enough to travel and everything. But um, I'm go- but I definitely had a, high- had a fever and I was just trying to, to just power through it. And you go through this part in the airport and it kind of went almost like a corral, kind of corralled people into like a focal point in the center. And it was really weird, like all white tiled floors, white tiled walls, white tiled ceilings. So you kind of felt like you were in like a gigantic hospital or something and you're getting funneled down to this focal point as you're going through this, this form of security. And then on both sides, they had these like big, kind of like, you know, those uh, portable heaters that people have. They're like round, you turn them on, and it kind of glows red. There's two of them on either side. And it was like total recall when the guy's going through and you can see like the full body scan. These things were up there detecting the temperature in pe- people's temperature to see if you had a high fever Then they thought you had bird flu and they were going to quarantine you for three weeks. And I'm going down the scene. I'm like, Oh shit. Like these things are going to light. My head's going to like light up red, you know, cause I have this fever. I'm going to be stuck in Shanghai and some quarantine thing for three weeks. And I got through and like walking through, like watching them, like looking at the, you know, looking at the monitors and looking at all of us. I was like, just keep walking, just head down, keep walking. <laughs> so, I mean, China's a weird place in, in general, but I thought, I don't, I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could take it to, uh, to, to be there. That was a, it, it's a, you ever see the movie Blade Runner? Yeah. yeah. Going to Shanghai is like Blade Runner. Like you go up, we went up to the top of the building and you look out as far as you could see in all four directions, you could not see the end of the high rise buildings. It was so, bizarre you know and so yeah and their their software hearing about their software program doesn't surprise me they also had a really super orwellian social media component too that is like gives you a social media score based on how well you uh, uh how good of a citizen you are so if, like you say good things about the government score goes up say bad things score goes down yeah i mean i think that we're watching the test marketing of something that is definitely going to be rolled out here and i'll see you in the fema camps <laughs> wow well let's hope that it doesn't get to that point. i mean i think that that's where we're going that level of control uh, i mean look it, it, whenever somebody says that it sounds crazy but like you know, they had, they put the Japanese in camps in, during World War II, the Japanese Americans in camps. Um, you know, we, we, if you remember that Jade Helm 2015 thing a couple of years ago, they're talking about uh, running these drills, these, you know, lockdown drills, and they were turning Walmarts into detention centers. And like, I mean, I think the, the conspiracy theorists were just like, holy moly, look at this, you know, this is crazy. And then now you're hearing uh, with the, the detentions at the border that they're being put in the Walmart that had been converted into a detention facility. So it's like, okay, do we get partial credit for being at least, you know, a little bit right that they had taken some of those buildings and turned them into detention centers? I mean, when all that stuff, for the first time you hear it, of course it sounds insane, but, but um, I mean, at the rate we're going, is it a possibility? Yeah, of course it's a possibility. I think, I think it's definitely... Uh, hopefully it doesn't happen. I, once again, I have to say the same thing when I think of the people manning the FEMA camps as the, as, as the people that are, you know, manning the education system. Somebody has to make a decision every day to, to, to 
push this thing forward and you just want to grab them and say, is this what you thought you were going to do with your life? Is this, this is your life as you're going to, you're going to be in charge of a FEMA camp and that holds Americans uh, in, in, you know, in, in determined amount of time, just because they've spoken out against the government. Like, seriously, is this what it's, it's come down to? I hope that's not the case, but like we, we're, we're well into like the George Orwell 1984 uh, scenario already. Um, that's just one extra step. I don't know why it wouldn't, I don't know. I don't know why it's not possible. I hope it's not, but like they're building the infrastructure for that. We certainly have the technology, you know, the maniacs that want to run the world have all, that's not a new concept. Everyone's always wanted to run the world. The difference is now that technology exists to actually do it. And my fear is that that they have the pieces in place and, it, and it's it's incremental, you know, it's cameras here and, you know, it's security checkpoints to get in the airport and then it becomes buses and then it becomes getting in school. Then it becomes, you know, you get in, you're used to it going into a football game. You got to go through security and all that stuff just sort of over time becomes normalized. And then when you add an extra piece onto it, it's not that, you know, it's not that big of a, of a, of a, of a, of a deal because it's just incremental. But then once you get to the end and you look all the way back, you go, Oh my God, I can't believe I've gone from being completely free to voluntarily, you know, you know, walking through metal detectors to go to a Broncos game. Like what, you know, like what, what are we doing here? You know, but, but you look back and you realize it just happened. It was the, as the David Icke says, the totalitarian tiptoe, you know, that incremental removing of rights that over time, um, adds up, but but when you're experiencing it, it's just something so small that it doesn't really doesn't really register. But that that you know we're definitely having rights removed at, a, at an alarming pace. And the problem, one additional problem to that is that the rights are getting removed under uh, false pretenses, like under thing you know because of things that aren't true. That's that's a, a problem. You know, like the they're gonna they're gonna take your guns away because of you know, some shooting in a school that may or may not have actually happened. For the last few minutes here, I never, you know, cover politics. I never usually talk about it. I think it's pretty much all BS. I consider right wing, left wing, same bird. But yeah, I'd like to get your thoughts on Donald Trump. Do you think he's genuinely trying to, you know, take down the cabal and the elites? Do you think he's, you know, the real deal here? There are some things about him that I like, and there are some things about him that I don't like. In terms of, the, like, before, I'm taking actually all his political sort of, what he's done as president kind of out of this. He, he's got a personality type that I don't like. I don't like guys that are, that are I'm so great, I'm the, it's the greatest, mine's the best, I'm the smartest president, I've got the greatest, like, I just don't like people like that in general. So that's annoying, but that, but that actually had, not, had less to do with his politics. That's just a personality trait. I'll tell you what I like about it. The people that are lifelong politicians freak out because of him. And I like how uncomfortable he makes them feel. I like that they don't know what to do because of him, because he's a bit of a bull in a china shop. He's going to say, whatever comes to his mind, some of it's going to be crazy. Some of it might be insightful. And then he's going to change his mind about it 30 minutes from now and say something totally different. But the, the reaction that the, the, that the, the established political factions in Washington have to him 
is great because they hate him and I hate them. So by default, I love that because I don't, I, when, when you see, when you see uh, Nancy Pelosi and Maxine Waters and freaking out and everything, I, I love that. What, whatever you can do to make them angry, I'm on, I'm on board with that. Right. I don't think he's going to solve the problems. I don't know that he, I mean, the Q thing, you know, the Q, uh, is that real? Is that not real? Look, it sounds good. If, if the arrests are coming, bring it on. Like, that's great. I would hate to be more, I'd hate, I'd hate for people that are already currently, I put myself in this, disappointed with the politi- the way politics is in, in the United States to get their hopes up for Donald Trump a person that has shown over the over his business uh, career to be interested in one person and one person only, and that is Donald Trump. I don't see any reason to believe that he is going to come and save everybody because it doesn't seem like he's the personality type to come in unless it benefits him. Now, he it might benefit him to come in and just destroy the political system. I would be okay with that. Uh, I don't. I'm not going to pin hopes on that guy at all and and, and i say that and i must say that i think having said that i'd take him over hillary clinton because i think that she is a, 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 a darker i mean i think he's a bit of a jackass but i think hillary clinton is a darker soul like a, a like she is coming from a very very dark place in terms of her behavior, policies, feelings. You don't really run into too many people that are like, oh, Hillary Clinton's really nice. Yeah, I talked to them. Yeah, how many Secret Service guys have written books that are like, if you get put on, if you were on White House detail where you had to guard Hillary Clinton, like that was considered punishment because she would, you know, F off every day and would would call them names and say things. So I don't know anybody that's ever said Hillary Clinton seems like a nice person. I just think it's a shame that in, in, in the end for that election, we had a choice between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton in a country with so many great minds, so many wonderful people, so many people that are like willing to help and like make this place a better place. He had the choice between two of the worst people you could possibly imagine. And I was uh, sad to see uh, Bernie Sanders get sort of, you know, discarded because I thought that maybe there was a chance there but I quickly lost any sort of respect I had for him when he came out afterwards and said, okay, everybody needs to vote for Hillary. Can't make that comment. You cannot stand up and give that speech under any circumstances, as far as I'm concerned. He would have been better off if he just said, I'm out of the race. Good luck with these two maniacs. See you later. But instead to come out there and say, you got to vote for Hillary. I was like, oh, sorry. So I don't know. I th- it, why don't we just Take, I mean, the system is already breaking. The political, uh, the elections are frauds. Why don't we just take it to its natural conclusion? Just have Oprah run with George Clooney next time against Mr. T and uh, Hulk Hogan or something. I mean, because it's it's turned into a joke. Let's just burn this place election uh, system to the ground and start over because it's it's preposterous that you've got, you know, that this is this is who it is that we're voting for. Like this system is not working for us. We should stop, rip it up, and start over again. 
Now you talked about the aspect of this, you know, going all communist China. Do you yeah. think there's another aspect of where we could actually come out of this and have uh, a much better society than we see today? Yeah, of course. I think we have a, of course, I get, I get negative and I bring up a bunch of things that are wrong and problems and things that we're seeing. It, but we have so much, so many amazing people that are in this country. We have the ability to uh, spread information, you know, in ways that we never thought of through the internet and, you know, we've got video conferencing and things like this. We have the opportunity to get the right message out to a lot of people and, and make the, you know, turn it around. It's not over yet. Like we, we can still sort of salvage this, this country and this planet, but like we have to, I think we need to sort of acknowledge that we're going down the, a pretty dark path and we need to kind of, you know, we we're all guilty. I know I'm guilty of like, the idea of like not knowing your neighbors, not having interaction with your neighbors and everyone's on the phone and not getting in, in touch with one another. That's something that we definitely lost over the last 50 years. Like our technology has advanced, but then our social skills have sort of cratered uh, because we're not doing the things that we used to do. Um, we do, we have the, we have the ability to, uh, to, to, you know, we live on a beautiful planet. It's great. I think that more people should travel, you know, if, as far as, as much as they can get out and see the world. And, and, uh, I came from a family that was really into traveling. My mom had been a flight attendant for Pan Am back in the sixties and everything. So she kind of understood that the world is more than just the United States. And so I wound, you know, grow, grew up going to as many places as I could inside the country and outside. And so I, I learned that, Hey, there's lots of different people out there and they're not all, they don't all look like you and they don't all act like you, but they have, you know, they do, they have, uh, you know, different things to offer and there's cool locations to see. I think that, you know, I saw some statistics like during the course of the year, like 95% of the people in the United States don't go, don't ever leave the country and don't even think about it. So it's such a small percentage. I think a lot of this, uh, a lot of our views about Muslims, you know, those people there and that, you know, get Get on a plane and go someplace. Go to a country. Go to a country that speaks Arabic. Still to see how, you know, the people there aren't, aren't hating the United States. They're not, well, they might be now, but they're, you know, they're not out there actively working against you. They got their own problems to worry about. You know, there's there's lots to see. And I and by by having the opportunity to travel when I was younger, um, it, it, it just kind of filled my head with the, the, the concept that it's a big world out there. There's a lot of people. Um, and, and there's a lot of people doing things differently than you are. So like here in the America, in the United States, we tend to get very America centric and think that it's, if it's not happening here, it's not happening. And that's totally crazy because there's a lot going on outside the world. Um, we need to sort of ditch these, these kind of preconceived hatreds that we're being told by the media to foster, like, you know, they hate us for our freedoms. They don't hate us for our free. They don't give a damn about our freedoms. They got their own problems going on. You know, they hate us because we've been bombing them for 15 years. If you want a reason for someone to hate us, hate us for that. So, um, so yeah, I, I'd say that our, we have the, we have the ability to, to turn this whole thing around. It's not lost yet. It's certainly not going down the right path, but, uh, but we can turn it around, but that's a generational type thing. We got to get a hold of the, you know, our kids and teach our kids to, to not trust the, 
don't trust those, those pricks that get into Washington because they're lying to you. They're not working for you. They're working for companies that put them in office. You know, don't believe everything you see on the news because most of it's not even true anyway. So, you know, I, I think the parents have to acknowledge that they have a role in educating their kids too. Like you cannot just kind of hand them off to the state and then act surprised when you get state run kids, you know, that come out of the schooling system and the, uh, they, they come out, uh, you know, ready to, 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 to just function within the state itself, which is a, a, a crazy idea. The parents need to be involved in educating their kids and talk to them and explain that there's a big, big world out there and you don't have to be afraid of anyone and you don't have to be afraid of people because of their religion. It's yeah, I agree. If we all made an improvement in ourselves, we could change everything so much. If everybody did mushrooms once, I think they would understand that there's a world out there that is far different from what we, uh, uh, there's more to our world than what we see with our eyes. I put it that way. Give you yes, a, there's, there is definitely a lot Interesting more. lesson in a, in, a, in a humbling experience too. Yes, and I, uh, I would have to agree on that one. And Charlie, I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. That was <laughs> an awesome conversation. There's so much information that we have to cover. Um, I'd love to have you back on because there's so much more we could talk about. Do it whenever you want, man. I love this, of course. It'd be, it'd be my pleasure. Thanks, And thanks for having me on. If anyone wants the book, it's available on Amazon as a Kindle and as a paperback. And it's also available, if you don't want to give Jeff Bezos money, you can go to Barnes & Noble. Uh, you can get it as an ebook there and also as a paperback as well. All right, awesome. I'm going to put the link to that in our description. And Charlie, thanks again for joining us. You Thank have you. an awesome night. You too. Thanks so much. Thanks. At American University, we don't just hope for change, we create it. We don't just dream of a better world, we make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, You'll access expert faculty and connections throughout D.C. to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at American.edu slash gradschool.